So this has been an amazing conference. Uh, people from all over the country came to Warren, Ohio to learn about energy storage and building efficiency. People from Los Angeles and Denver and Chicago and New York are here right now, and they're excited. I'm excited. I'm excited for our companies that are now begin starting to be on a national stage. I'm excited for the people in this community because I swear to you, we are going to create good paying technology jobs. And so young people like Angelo Cafenteris don't have to move to Los Angeles to create their dreams. We're gonna do it here. And we're gonna do it with our partners like YBI and America Makes who lead the world in additive manufacturing. And we're gonna be the energy storage side that pushes that forward in Trumbull County as well. So, very excited for our keynote talk, what everybody is here to see tonight. We're so excited to partner with the City Club of the Mahoning Valley. And I want to welcome out Dan Malthrop, the CEO of Cleveland City Club, uh, to host this panel tonight. Thanks very much. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. Thanks, Ray. Thank you so much. Give that mic to one of those guys. Okay. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Dan. It is great to see all of you here tonight. Thank you for coming out. Uh, we are so pleased to be partnering with T-Bike and the Energy Storage Building Efficiency Conference. Um, I, don't wanna, I don't have a whole lot of preamble here, but I do want to say this. The whole point of City Club, whether it's City Club of the Mahoning Valley or City Club of Cleveland, is that we create conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. We firmly believe that it's important to bring the community together, to have the conversations, to share in conversations about our future, about, uh, about the future, about the community that we aspire to be and the way that we can become that community, um, facing the tough challenges that, uh, that we need to face in order and, and really sharing in solutions. And our conversation tonight is really about thinking about the future and thinking about the future of industry and technology and jobs and the economy here in the Mahoning Valley. So without uh, a whole lot of further ado, um, and thanks also to, to the mayor for his uh, welcoming remarks. And I know President Jim Tressel from Youngstown State is here as well, and I thank him for his attendance. Um, and I'm sure there are many other dignitaries here, and we certainly appreciate that. But let's welcome our panel, um, who are going to join me out on stage right now. Come on out, folks. This is awkward. Hey, let's go. Um, so we have, uh, we, we have Steve Burns, Lordstown Motors, Angelo Cafeteras from uh, Hyperion, and Tiara Thurston from uh, a small company called Tesla. I don't know if you've, you've heard of Tesla. Um, and I'm not going to go into their bios because at some point you guys will Google them anyway, so there's no point in that. Um, but I want to start, Angela, with you. Um, if you could just tell us a little bit about Hyperion, what you're up to, and what the hope is. Well, first and foremost, thank you guys for coming, and uh, thank you, Rick, for setting this up, and uh, thank you, Dan, for uh, hosting, and of course, to the guys to my right to my left. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I am from uh, Warren, Ohio, as you guys all know. Uh, the last time I was here, uh, I think, was my graduation. We walked across the stage for Warren's New Harding, so uh, it's pretty fun. I uh, would uh, slide back there in the winter behind uh, Packard Park. Uh, and also watch fireworks in the summer. So uh, it's really, really good to be home. It's good to see uh, friendly faces. It's good to see family. Uh, so just first and foremost, thank you. Uh, and then about Hyperion, um, as uh, Rick was saying, yes, so we actually did have to go to California to, to get a lot of those talented guys that were working with people from Tesla uh, and others, uh, and we did that. Um, but the key for us was how do we return the favor of the people who really created all of us in the Midwest who were out there in California working so hard. I wanted to return uh, a lot of the guys and, and create a, uh, a center, a hub of technology right here in the Mahoning Valley uh, because we believe that this is the, the key to the future 
future of the success of not just uh, Ohio, but this region. Um, so many times people want to focus on um, just uh, you know, manufacturing jobs, but it's so important that we also focus on the tech jobs. Those tech jobs, those people who, who do those things, those are the guys who make the decisions on whether a factory should stay open or stay or to close. And if we control those, uh, that, those decisions, we control our own destiny. So it's sort of a, a teach a man to fish uh, situation. Um, anyways, but uh, just to sort of answer your question about Hyperion Motors, uh, we focus on hydrogen uh, energy creation, uh, storage, and propulsion. And I know that's fake, uh, but basically what is, we have uh, different technologies that focus in this uh, hydrogen sector, and we're going to talk more about that. And there's different divisions of Hyperion. There's four divisions, and one of the divisions I do want to be right here uh, in the Valley. So uh, I'll, I'll get back to you, Dan. Okay. More on that in a second. Steve Burns, Lordstown Motors. Um, Steve, you're in the, in the midst of some negotiations uh, regarding the Lordstown plant, and I know that that's going to prevent you from being fully candid with us. But tell us what the, Lordstown, the vision of Lordstown Motors is, and, and as much as you can share. Again, uh, like Angela said, thanks for having us. Uh, we're very excited. This, for, for Lordstown Motors, we've been pretty much in stealth mode for a while, uh, and so this is the first public thing, we, semi-public thing we, we've done. So uh, our goal, we are a new company. Uh, I think the fact that we named the company Lordstown Motors Corporation uh, should indicate our, our seriousness about coming to this area and what it means to us. Uh, we are building an electric pickup truck, uh, and our goal is to be the first production in electric pickup truck in the United States. And I, I think you'd probably say the world because pickup trucks aren't as prevalent uh, everywhere like they are here. So that is our goal. It's a lofty goal, of course. Uh, bringing a new automobile to market is, is a lot. Uh, one thing that we're very excited about is, as GM announced, uh, we've been in discussions with them to purchase their Lordstown plant. Uh, as you can also imagine, uh, that is a complex transaction, even more complex in the last few weeks. Um, and we, we remain at the ready to, to, to do it, and we fully expect to. Um, that is a you know, marvelous building, and, and everything inside of it is intact, and we think that's going to give us a big leg up. Now, we were originally attracted to the area. I'm from Cincinnati. Um, we were originally attracted because of the plant, but as we dug in and started to, to think about how we're going to populate that plant with workers, we started uncovering the workforce here. And uh, it's come full circle where we, we feel the workforce, the workforce here is going to be our, our secret weapon. So we're excited to be here, and um, we're, we're trying to bring an innovation hub here, a manufacturing hub here, and our goal is to have a fully integrated you know, electric vehicles require, they don't have engines and transmissions and differentials. They have different things like electric motors and wiring harnesses and, of course, batteries. So we want to bring those skill sets here to this region as well and kind of make this a, uh, Angelo used the word hub. I think that's a good uh, a, a name. We're trying, we're trying to make this a hub for electrification. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, Tiara, tell us a little bit, uh, let me ask it this way. Everybody here, I think, thinks they know Tesla already, partly because you have two cars parked out front, um, but also because Tesla is a very um, sort of publicly engaged company. Your CEO, Elon Musk, is sort of famously publicly engaged. Um, what is it that people don't really understand or don't you find that people don't actually already know about Tesla? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, similar to the other 
panelists, I, I just want to say thank you. It's really exciting. Uh, I live in Columbus, Ohio, um, and so I'm based here in the Midwest and get to work for a tech-based company out of California. And I think over the last couple of years, we've done a lot of work, boots on the ground, educating the direct customer on what electrification really means, um, not just the customer, but also governments. And so I think probably the, the most... Um, the biggest misperception in the marketplace is that you know we're trying to put competitors out of business, or that um, you know we, we're just trying to make it to this place of profitability. Uh, but Elon's core mission is to transition the world to sustainable energy. And so when we sit on a panel here today and hear about a, a pickup truck that's going to be launching in the Midwest and it's going to bring jobs to communities that um, could could really benefit from the technology uh, companies that are out there, I think this excites him. Uh, we recently this week congratulated Mercedes on the fact that they're going to go 100% electric as well. And so um, to understand the core of what Tesla's really working to achieve uh, is sustainability at all levels so that we, we not only have economic growth, but we have a sustainable planet to live in. Because the, the so much focus has been on profitability and the, and the production of, of the vehicles themselves and the um, I think people have forgotten that initially Elon Musk was really, he was out to just change the world. He wasn't really out to build a car. He wanted to change the world. Yeah, I think he was really excited by what JB and some of our founders were doing with electrification and saw that this could go mainstream. And then that has also led us to the acquisition of SolarCity and some of the additional product lines that we've launched. And so, again, it's super exciting for us to see all of these companies getting on board and really making this transition over. And I think just the consumer growth in general um, this past year has really uh, been amazing to watch firsthand. A couple of minutes ago, you said that you, a lot of the, your work is on educating the customer about what electrification really means. What does that actually? What do you mean by that? What is it that I don't under, already understand about electrification? Yeah, I, I think the consumer is a little bit confused as to can this really fit in my lifestyle? Um, you know, there's still a lot of concern around you know how you're going to get around with an electric vehicle. Is it going to be as convenient? Um, you know, how do you find an electric vehicle station? Gas stations are everywhere. Um, I think through technology, we're unlocking the potential for this to become reality. Uh, when we start, first started manufacturing vehicles, I think back in the 1800s, early 1900s, the EV was very part of the reality. But I think just due to technology, that didn't take off in the same way. Uh, so you, it's it's really getting out, getting consumers to see the vehicles firsthand, test drive them, see what the benefits can be uh, through the technology, and then getting these vehicles out on the road. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about what this looks like for uh, city governments, uh, fleet operations, and then, of course, one-to-one -one consumer. Steve, let's talk about fleet operations for a second. I know that there's a uh, the, your former company, Workhorse, and is sort of affiliated with Lordstown Motors in some fashion, and you're bringing some of the, your, the understanding and the experience that you built over there to this project currently. Um, a fleet deal would be a, a huge way to get the operations moving, and you're currently in the running, I guess, for, the, for a major contract. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, or can you? My former company is called Workhorse. It's based down in Cincinnati. It's a small public company. And it specializes in making large delivery vans electric. So uh, UPS, FedEx, uh, DHL is a new customer. They are in the running for the post office bid. I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so they want to make the, the entire post office fleet electric. Uh, post office has narrowed it down from 62 companies to four, and Workhorse is in there. Uh, if Workhorse wins it, we'd like to build it for them uh, if we have the Lordstown plant. So that is a... Um, 
You know, I thought that would be the sea change, you know, the largest fleet in the world, the post office. That's like 180,000 car yeah. vehicles. But Amazon ordering 100,000 electric vans the other day, uh, that could be the sea change. That's a big deal. So we, um, we cater to fleets. What we learned at Workhorse was fleets are a great way to cut your teeth. You build a vehicle, you define its duty cycle, what it can and can't do, and a fleet says, uh, if that's economical and if it's my, my, my duty cycle, you know, I'll buy it. So uh, they generally, local fleets know how far they go, where they go, charging back at the, at the uh, nest at night or at, if, if an employee takes it home. So you don't have to build out a charging infrastructure, and you can kind of size the battery pack for what they need. And they buy on economics. So uh, they buy on what's called total cost of ownership. They say how much to buy the vehicle, and then fuel and maintenance for five to eight years when I keep it. And uh, no electric or no gasoline vehicle can, can compare to an electric vehicle when you look all in at total cost. So fleets, you know, fleets are, these are municipalities, these are police cars, these are a landscaper. The, the pickup truck is the number one vehicle in America for both consumers and fleets. So we, we're attacking fleets first. Can, can you just describe the, the pickup truck that, that Lordstown Motors envisions? Because it is hard for me, I'll be honest, it's hard to imagine a pickup truck without a V8 rumbling under the hood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, we, in addition to being the most economic vehicle, you know, we are also telling fleets this is the safest pickup truck you can put your people in because, of course, the frontal crash zone, without that big V8 there, you've got a lot of crumple, and that's what saves your life in a crash. So, and we also want to have the best traction. So, uh, I'll just use the Ford, Ford 150 as a generic pickup truck. Nothing good or bad about Ford, um, but it is the it's the best-selling vehicle in America for 37 straight years, and uh, it is very difficult to compete with them. You don't just come in and compete with that. Uh, however, we think we're going to be safer and uh, better traction uh, because we have this true four-wheel drive, you know, motor on each wheel type of thing, and uh, we're going to get 75 miles per gallon equivalent. So that's a pretty compelling argument that might turn the corner and, uh, and have people start to migrate towards Can this. you do it cheaper for the, uh, for the cost of the actual vehicle? Cheaper being? Less expensive is yes, what I mean. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Cash out the door. <laughs> well, again, since fleets look at how much out the door and then eight years of fuel and maintenance, we are less expensive than the most bare-bones uh, ICE, internal combustion pickup truck made. So mm-hmm. it is, it, and uh, it, consumers don't look at things that way necessarily, no. but fleets say, this is the least expensive tool I can use to do my job. Angelo, is that kind of calculus about fleets versus consumers and, and the long-term cost savings versus the cost of the, of the vehicle out the door for the, for the purchaser, is that part of the, the calculation for Hyperion? Uh, yeah, I think that um, before we even get to the detail of Hyperion, I think it's really important um, that we're talking about the same thing. So essentially when we're talking to uh, uh, Tesla about Tesla things or Lurson Motors, we're all talking about electric vehicles. Same thing with hydrogen. If there's anything I want every one of you guys to take home today, it's, oh, a hydrogen vehicle is actually an electric vehicle. The difference is instead of storing the energy in batteries, it's storing it in the chemical bond in the hydrogen. So first and foremost, it is electric. Um, to answer your question about thinking about things in terms of fleets, Hyperion Motors is uh, sort of divided into four different divisions. The, the vehicle side of it is more towards the SUV type, so we do understand that the market is demanding uh, SUVs and, of course, trucks, which is huge. It's why that Lordstown plant closed, because nobody was buying small sedans. It's something that we love. We I love our trucks. I think we should say nobody. Fewer people were buying. Fewer people. I, our, yeah, Ohio right. Senator Sherrod Brown famously still drives a cruise. Nothing wrong with the cruise. Proudly. Love the cruise. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
But um, to get back to yeah. your point about uh, the thinking, there's our energy side. So Hyperion Energy is mostly focused more in what you were thinking. We're, we're cutting our teeth on the energy side and building those stations. So there's a lot of stations that we want to build, and that's what we're working on primarily on that side of business. And that kind of goes into what you were saying in terms of every, all of your learning sort of ties into that because you control that infrastructure. You do get to, to sort of uh, ease your way into that market. Yeah. Where are you? I know you're in stealth mode, beta mode, pro- prototyping and all of that, and you can only tell me things if you kill me. But, um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, like, where are you in your development timeline? And yeah. you know, how, how far away from market are you? Great question. So we actually started this company um, almost nine years ago. It'll be nine years in December. Uh, actually, we started here in Ohio and went over there uh, to California to build the prototypes. And we've already built actually two prototypes on the automotive side and actually another two prototypes on the refueling side. And so where we're at right now is we're actually optimizing and getting ready for manufacturing. So in terms of phases, uh, phase one is complete in terms of all the R&D that's been developed. Phase two is manufacturing. So what we're doing here in Ohio is we actually do want one of these divisions to be focused and centric on building that local talent here in the area. And then then the second phase of that is locating a good uh, source for manufacturing. And this is, of course, what we've been talking about in terms of why do you want to be here in Ohio? And I think that's a question you'll ask later, so I won't get into that right now. No, let me ask you. Why do you want to be in Ohio? Okay, great question. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You want to be in Ohio, I think, as an automotive company because there's uh, a crazy supply chain that's been here for a long, long time because of guys like General Motors, but not just General Motors Ford, and a lot of other guys are out here in Ohio, too, right next to Michigan. There's a lot of really great infrastructure in terms of your supply chain, which is actually nine times greater than the original OEM side. One thing that you have to realize about us, you know, we're all from different companies, but we're not, we're not really competitors. We all want the same thing. We all want a clean uh, electric future, right? We all want that. And the key here, if we do want to revitalize this area to a new renaissance, is working together and collaborating, which is something you don't hear often. And I think that what we're trying to say with that is that if he's here, and so is Workhorse, and maybe even Tesla one day, well, what that means is we're building up a base of, of talent in the area, and also uh, the, you know, that supply chain that was building transmissions is now building wiring harnesses, for example. And actually, there's a really good supply chain for fuel cells as well already here, uh, and you can talk to the guys at the Fuel Cell Coalition about that. But to answer the question of why Ohio, well, number one, uh, we want to be where there's a lot of talent, and I think there's a great deal of talent here that we can develop from all the major universities, Kent State University, YSU, and also Ohio State and others, Case West, Western, and everything else. Uh, and then the secondarily is the manufacturing side. There's a lot of great experience here. But we've got to bring those things together. We've got to close that gap. And that's the key, I think. You know, the, the auto industry has been in Ohio for so long that we forget when, it first, when certain players first came to Ohio. Honda first came to the United States and, and started in Ohio building, you know, building motorcycles. That, you know, were, it was a brand new kind of, kind of deal. Um, Steve, with the... You've got an Ohio story. You're based in Cincinnati, and um, and you're eyeing this Lordstown plant. That's what we got six million square feet and twelve hundred robots. You told me yesterday. Um, there's a there's a lot there, and you also talked earlier about the workforce as well. But what else? Why? You know, you you are in Cincinnati. You're right on the. You know, you could just as easily be going to Indiana or Kentucky. Well, you know, we are. We're Ohio-based, and in Cincinnati used to build GM cars um, in Norwood, Ohio. And uh, when that plant closed, they made Firebirds and Camaros. I remember the hit of that, and then Dayton stopped making cars, and then Lordstown now is not making cars. So, you know, Ohio needs automotive manufacturing, we think. So the, the people that run this state, uh, the governor on down, are very aggressive in helping anybody that will bring automotive jobs and all the associated jobs that go with it. You know, for every automotive job, there's probably eight others that, that come with it. So we've seen, we've seen a very aggressive uh, uh, leadership 
wanting to, to help. So that's a big thing. And we just know the, the work ethic uh, of Ohio. Um, there's not that in Kentucky. No, just kidding. Uh, it's a little Ohio-Kentucky thing there. Um, and when you're Cincinnati, you're that close to Kentucky. But we, uh, you know, we, we just think it's got the right recipe. It has a, a workforce, a displaced workforce. Force. I mean, no matter what powers a vehicle, it still has taillights and headlights and seats and dashboards, all the things that require the human touch, right? It still has to be painted, right? It still has four wheels for the time being. So it's, uh, you know, it requires human effort. There's no way to build cars currently in volume. Uh, and again, the volume that used to come out of that Lordstown plant um, is, I think there's only three plants in the world that have done more. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a gem. Tiara, let, let's shift the conversation a little bit to the future. Um, the Tesla is, has the, cap- the capacity right now to provide a consumer with um, a, a power wall, a battery that can power your house, or a pair of batteries that will power your house, and, or charge your, your car and the car, right? So um, where, where do you see this headed? I mean, because that is really far ahead of, where, of the curve, basically, far ahead of where most Americans are now. Yeah, I think this goes back to Elon's vision. So he really sees a sustainable future. I think as we've ramped up over the past years, um, you know, there's been a, a lot of noise around, yes, you you have a zero emissions vehicle, but what does that mean when you're manufacturing? And what does that mean for somebody that's charging at home? They're still connected to the grid. And so that power is coming from, a, you know, a fossil fuel fuel burning source um, and his his vision has always been to be able to power your home and your vehicle from the sun and so we've spent the last couple of years um, obviously acquiring solar city which had a pre-existing solar panel th- business uh, I think we've taken that in-house and and do what we do best at, at Tesla which is really innovate um, and so over the last couple of months we've relaunched a product that as for a solar cell we're at a lower cost of uh, than any competitor on the market at two dollars Uh, below $2 a kilowatt. Um, You can order a home solar system, a battery pack, and a vehicle in under three minutes from our website and have that installed in 30 days. And I think pre-existing to that, this is a very complicated system that the consumer has a hard time really understanding how it all works together. Um, You know, we have never, as I I have never, you know, watched my meter day in and day out at my home to to see what kind of energy I'm consuming. Um, And we've made this simple for our customer. They can look at their phone app, see how their car is charging, see what's happening with their vehicle, and also flip over the screen to their power wall and see what kind of energy that they're they're getting from their solar panel and storing in their battery. Um, it, it's pretty amazing to flip over to your your power wall if your your um, power goes out, so the grid goes down, and this automatically kicks on and is able to power your home. Uh, and I think you know that that's one thing that's a conversation for the United States that I don't think we take for granted um, because we do have a, a very powerful grid system. But what we've been able to do international for really underserved communities that struggle with electricity and power um, not only is is great for humanity, but I think also just builds this mission-based drive within our teams because we truly are changing the world and we're changing the way that people live. This has a lot to do with climate resiliency um, and being able to survive. I mean, like, the power just went out at our, you know, at our house not too long ago, and um, 
and there have been moments in the last you know five ten years when we've been without power for up to a week because of um, because of where the you know where things fell and where and so on and so forth. But the I just got to come back to something you said. In three minutes, I could I could order all of that and it would be all delivered and installed in thirty days. And how much would I owe after that three minutes? Yeah. <laughs> Um, you can do a, a loan, and so you can actually take that out, and, and based off of state incentives, that's gonna, that cost is going to vary. But we actually just rented or launched a rental system where you can rent for $50 a month, um, which is mind-blowing. That, that whole system, the car too? <laughs> Not the car. Uh, <laughs> you know how this goes. Because I was all so, in. <laughs> so really this, <laughs> we're getting there, though. I, I think what's also unique about us is we pass on the savings of manufacturing and really streamlining these processes to our customers. So just in the past you know, few years, we've taken Model S from, you know, an average price point of well over 100000 down into the 70000 price range. We continue to bring down the cost of the batteries. And so Powerwall varies depending on how many you want to install. Same with solar. Um, but I would check it out because there's no harm in doing some research for what that looks like for your home. Um, but it's a lot less expensive. It goes back to the total cost of ownership conversation where maybe up front you're paying a little bit more. But imagine never having to um, pay someone else for electricity for the rest of your lifetime. Well, a guy from First Energy just joined our board, so I, I can't really comment <laughs> this, on that. That gets complicated. That's a complicated conversation. <laughs> uh, but, but continue this conversation about, about the future, Angelo. What, do you, um, what kind of infrastructure do you envision? What do you need? The, I mean, the fuel cells are a little different than plugging in the car, yes. right? Yeah, thanks uh, again for that question. Um, so we talked about uh, Tesla uh, just now and how you'll have to charge your car at home, or if you're providing solar, you'll be able to charge your car potentially uh, partially with that solar. Um, and one thing um, I want to talk about is kind of how hydrogen works, if that's all right. Do um, we have an illustrator over here? I yeah, can, can we draw. give our illustrator a round of applause, please? Look, <laughs> Thank you. He's the hardest working guy on the stage right now. Can I walk over to that illustrator? Uh, if you need to. Okay. Apparently right. you do. So. Go. So here. Uh, He's going to yeah, draw a picture. Yeah. So it basically just draw a square with some lines through it, uh, and I'll kind of describe how that works. Uh, just a bunch of lines, a bunch of lines. So the way that hydrogen stores energy is it actually takes the hydrogen molecule and it pushes it through what he's going to be drawing, which is called a fuel cell stack. And that fuel cell stack has membranes, and that membrane has these catalysts and these ionomers that actually separates the hydrogen atom from itself. And what was holding the hydrogen atom to, uh, to molecule together was uh, that electron, and that electron is what powers the car. So, uh, let's see where he's at. You've got, uh, coming in here, you've got hydrogen going in, and your byproduct, that's a great drawing, by the way, thank you. Uh, your byproduct is actually going to be water, pure, clean, 100% uh, uh, clean water. And, of course, your electricity, which is going to power the car. So, we're in Ohio, right? What do we talk about in Ohio when it comes to energy? We talk about natural gas. So, there's two ways to create hydrogen. One way is just like... Uh, 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 what TR was talking about, and that's actually through potentially connecting um, basically an electrolyzer, which is something that produces this hydrogen from water. Basically, it splits that water apart and produces the hydrogen that you use for your vehicles. And that could be powered by solar. Right? It could also be powered by electricity. Uh, more efficient than powered by solar, of course. Um, and those can be uh, tied into huge solar farms for a lot of efficiency because these solar farms are robust, especially in California, where they're very uh, heavily overbuilt. One great thing about hydrogen is you can actually take all of that um, electricity, turn it into hydrogen, and store it indefinitely for a really long period of time, indefinitely actually forever, uh, and then also uh, store mass quantities of it. So when it comes to infrastructure, that's a really nice way to make hydrogen. But let's get back to Ohio. What's cool about Ohio? Well, natural gas. What can you do with natural gas and hydrogen? Well, natural gas is actually CH4, right? There's a process called 
called steam methane reformation. What this is, it's using steam to actually break apart that natural gas, which we have abundance of in this country, about 600 years worth, and create hydrogen from it, which is really nice. And what's really cool about that afterwards is there's going to be that C. Remember that CH4? H4, that's the hydrogen. What's that C stand for? Carbon. What are we trying to do? Eliminate carbon emissions. So what can you do with that carbon? It's called carbon recapture. So you can actually create a whole bunch of hydrogen from natural gas, and you can do it cleanly. So now we talk about what the benefits of the infrastructure. Well, one of the great things about hydrogen is you can have an enormous amount of range, enormous amount of capacity. Some of you guys are never even used to. I'm so excited for when you guys see this car because it's going to blow your minds with what this thing can actually do. But what it can do is we talk about microgrids. You guys have probably been at speeches today. We've heard about microgrids. What is microgrid? Well, it's basically taking all that power that's everywhere in the uh, basically in the cities and using it to potentially uh, backfill and, and provide energy back to the grid, right? And what you can do with a hydrogen car and also a Tesla, I'm sure, is provide power back to the grid because you talked about a power outage, right? Well. It's worse in California, I can tell you that, because in California, a lot of Teslas, as you know. And these Teslas are all taking power from the grid, and that grid was not built to supply power to all these different houses. So it's just draining this grid, and you get a lot of, especially Manhattan Beach, where there's a lot of Teslas, you get a lot of power outages, and you want to be able to sort of backfill that grid. And that's something that Hyperion can do with their vehicles, and also something that in the future, because my wife also works at Honda, what Honda is excited about doing too. So basically, we're looking at a microgrid which could supplement the infrastructure itself that ties back to hydrogen, ties back to batteries, ties back to solar, and the whole thing is one cohesive system because that electric infrastructure is robust and difficult to change. What's the, you mentioned the range, You're like the range is going to blow you away, so what's the range? That's one of those things I can't tell you, but it's going to blow you away. It's going to blow me away. It's going to blow you away. Because the promise. range currently in Tesla is 200 miles, roughly? 370. 370. That's good. That's good. That's approaching the, the Subaru that I drove here in. And, and I think we're, the semi-truck's at 600, and I think there's a, some information that's been coming out about our truck as well, uh-huh. being close to that too. So I, I think pretty exciting. Steve, that's your, the, what kind of range are you talking about? Uh, we're going to have multiple price points, but the, the lowest one is 225 mm-hmm. Again, since we're catering not to individuals that just might pack up and go across the state, a local fleet... You know, they typically drive 60, 70 miles a day, so we have plenty for them. Right, um, right. And, you know, I think the important thing is, for, and, and when Angela said, you know, it's electric, you know, just, I think everybody understands this, but an internal combustion car is about 15% efficient. So whatever you're putting in, you know, diesel or gasoline, all those calories, by the time it gets to the wheels, you have lost 85% of it. It's the most inefficient uh, an internal combustion engine tied to an automatic transmission backdoor differential is the most inefficient thing you could possibly think of. Uh, electric motor, I think everybody's aware, is 98% efficient. So it is uh, on the scale of, you know, the, the energy storage, what are we storing the energy in so we can take advantage of that, that 98% and reclaim it, you know, things like regenerative braking. And it, it's a criminal that if you th- every pickup truck in the United States right now, if you just squint right... J- Everyone that's stopping at this moment is just pressing the brake and two calipers are squeezing on a rotor and wasting all that energy to friction. Lost forever to heat, right? And, and think about the beef that all those pickup trucks are. They're all four or 5,000 pounds. So it's an incredibly wasteful thing. The, I mean, if you were to start from scratch now, if an alien came down here and said, you know, let's build a, something to move people around, it'd be the last thing you would pick. But it is so ingrained in our society. So these, you know, Elon, you know, uh, God bless him, has single-handedly kind of uh, brought the whole space up. And um, it, it is um, phenomenal now that tier one suppliers that are available, uh, the, the 
what's available now to start a, a car company is is incredible. So you focus on that's what that's your starting point. We we take pickup trucks because uh, you know let's say we we electrify the cruise right. The cruise already gets 45 or 50 miles per gallon, so you wouldn't have that big of a, a lift to the environment. Uh, and the economic, your wallet wouldn't feel it as, as much. You know, let's say a pickup truck is 15. They're big polluters, right? They're just, uh, it's just the nature of them. So uh, you can really get payback quicker financially, and you feel better about the air quicker because you're, you're not putting uh, all that CO2 up there. We're going to go to questions from the audience in uh, just a second. Um, I just want to remind everybody, and also for our listening audience, it's going to pick this up on a podcast or something like that. That we got that was Steve Burns, uh, Lord, CEO of Lordstown Motors. Before him, you heard from Angelo uh, Cafeteras uh, of Hyperion and Tiara. Uh, Tiara, I've just forgotten your last name. Tiara Thurston. I was getting there. I was getting of Tesla is with us as well. Um, this is a City Club of the Mahoning Valley presentation. Andrea, I'm looking for you to take this microphone. I'm going to grab this one too. Um, the City Club of the Mahoning Valley presentation in the middle of the SB Conference that stands for Energy Storage Building Efficiency, brought to you by T Bike, which stands for uh, Tech Belt Energy Innovation Center, based here in Warren, Ohio. And uh, did I get it all? Did I nail it? It's currently it? bright now, by the way. What? It's going to be bright. Right, it's it's going to be bright. It was T-Bike. Oh, yeah, that's right. Thank you. I see that. Um, so let's do, um, let's do questions from the audience. Uh, Andrea's got on the mic, on the stand there. Anybody's welcome to come up and ask a question? Uh, or you can all wait for somebody else to do that. I don't know why you would do that. Um, but I'm going um, to keep throwing questions at all of you uh, for a second. Um, Steve Burns, what is the timeline? What can you tell us about like, what needs to happen before you get to a definitive answer in your negotiations with General Motors? Yeah, I can't really talk about that. But I, I can tell you that we are bringing an electric pickup truck to market at the end of next year. At the end of next year. Yes. So, that so means this time, 2020, we'll be seeing advertisements for, yeah. or like we'll hear from Lordstown Motors that like, it's available. Yeah, you'll be seeing prototypes you know, long before that, but that mm -hmm. is the production ramp. That's pretty exciting. Super fast. You've got a question, sir. Go ahead. Hi, my name's Ted Orn, uh, CTO of Advanced TechWorks. Angelo, a question for you. Uh, yes. Can you tell me anything about the intellectual property you might have on the hydrogen production? Is there anything there that uh, is unique to what you're, you're proposing? Uh, yes. So uh, these different divisions we have are one is focused on the vehicles themselves and making them as efficient as possible. Uh, one thing that people don't realize about hydrogen is that it's got the highest gravimetric energy density of anything in the world, right? So pound for pound, the best energy source. Um, to answer your question on the uh, power generation, we do have IP on the electrolysis process to make that even more efficient and then also a way to bring that uh, cost down way low so we can provide stations everywhere. So the big problem with hydrogen, so let's just talk about the good things really quick. The good thing is, number one, it's got this crazy range that seriously is going to be insane. Um, <laughs> you'll find out. Um, uh, the second thing is you don't have to wait to charge this thing very long. It, it refills in 3.5 uh, minutes, which is exactly what you guys are used to at your guys' stations. It's about three minutes to refill your guys' gas cooling cars. Um, so it's really, to consumer, a great value proposition because you've got this really long range and this system that you're used to. Um, and the, the key, though, and this is touching on what was just asked, uh, what is the difference between, what have you got an IP related to the creation of hydrogen? Well, creation of hydrogen is how you get the hydrogen to different people everywhere uh, across the infrastructure. Now, that's what's holding this entire industry back. Uh, fuel cells were created originally by NASA. This is space-age technology. In fact, they use hydrogen to, uh, to go to the moon. They still do. Um, 
Mr. Musk uses hydrogen to go and take his rockets to uh, different uh, places. It's a great uh, energy source. So what I'm trying to say here is uh, the, the best thing that you can do for hydrogen is the infrastructure because the infrastructure is holding everybody back. So to touch on the IP thing, we have uh, brought the cost down so we can provide infrastructure at a much, much lower cost to, to be able to distribute this everywhere. And uh, yeah, there's the IP uh, infrastructure and the propulsion side. On a slightly different um, track, Tesla has innovated a ton in the self-driving space. Um, and I particularly see that as being interesting in relation to fleet vehicles. Um, is Lordstown thinking about um, self-driving? And kind of uh, where, like, what do you see on the Tesla side? Like, when, when does that really become a reality, I guess? Uh, you know, what is the horizon to uh, self-driving? First, uh, I think every electric vehicle manufacturer has to be looking at autonomous. Um, our first four-way foray into this uh, uh, full cab pickup truck is a lot of times to get people to a place, right? So um, it isn't on the top of mind of our current fleet customers. Uh, they're just trying to get people there so they don't mind that one of those folks is driving it. But we are, of course, we're embedding electric steering, electric braking, everything so that we we can do you know, auto automatic braking at first, lane centering, and move slowly towards autonomous, but it's, it's top of mind um, for, for everybody. To understand what we've been doing, um, you know, we have qu quite a few features on the vehicles already, and so over the last six months, we've recently launched Navigate on Autopilot, um, which is a fantastic program. It will hold you in your lane, automatic lane change, on-off ramp. Um, you know, holds your distance. Uh, we have version 10 coming very quickly. Uh, this will be advanced summon, and so you'll actually be outside of your vehicle, be able to call your car, um, and your car will be able to come and pick you up. Um, we have beta going on continuously. So I, I think, you know, what the car is capable of doing present day is different than what is released to the public. Um, so timeline is really based off of comfort level and testing and making sure that the programs um, are, are of the this highest safety ratings for a consumer. Um, and then, of course, you have federal regulation. And so how fast can the policy keep up with the technology is really the, the question there. Um, I think what we are doing differently, and, and as it pertains to our fleet customer, you know, our, our fleet customer is really excited about the fact that they could have a full self-driving fleet. Um, so I think this is a real discussion that's happening now with our consumer, um, both consumer one-to-one -one and then our fleet customer. Um, I think some of the other really unique things being a tech company is we can give all of the data from the miles and the technology of the vehicle back to our fleet consumer. Uh, so. The, the benefits of going EV and the total cost of ownership is, is great and is really a selling point in itself. But when you would couple in the safety of full self-driving, the, the possibilities that are there, especially when you think of a semi-fleet um, and, you know, just if, if, a, if a semi-truck driver gets in an accident, um, you know, usually there's very bad outcomes. So uh, if we're able to prevent those accidents through full self-driving, I think we truly will be changing the world at that point, even much farther than that we're thinking about on a daily basis. Um, that advanced summon thing you, you just described is like half of the valet, right? It's like the, the second half. Um, but I also, I, will, will it come in a, uh, a black car with a red light that goes back and forth and talks to you, like calls me Knight Rider or whatever? Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> calls me Michael. Go ahead. My name's Gail Hetrick. I'm with WKBN-TV, but I'm in sales, not news. And this is off the record. Our team, our news team is left. I was just wondering, and I'm not trying to fight a, or start a fight on the stage there, but did Tesla ever look at the Lordstown plant? 
for production? Yeah, I believe that Elon was tweeted at, and I think we got beat to the punch by the gentleman at the end of the panel here. So, um, <laughs> congratulations. Steve, was there a lot of competition? Yeah, it was a pretty good bake-off. Um, you know, I, I think one thing that's important is um, we've agreed to use union labor as part of purchasing it, and a lot of folks didn't, you know, that was, didn't fit into their model. So uh, that was a, a key component. And the fact that we, had, we have trucks on the road with a tough customer like UPS, pedigree, that type of thing. So that helped us win it. Can I ask a couple questions about sure. the, the agreement to use union labor? Is that at current union compensation? Uh, we have not spoken to the union yet. Mm -hmm. We just want to use them. Um, and we have to wait till I think the dust settles for all the stuff going on. But we, we uh, uh, I don't think I, I think I can say um, competitive union compensation. For the same number of jobs? Uh, well, we hope to. Um, I think I used Tesla as an example. They bought a shuttered Numi plant, and they now have more people in there than Tesla and, I mean, uh, Toyota and GM had. And that's our goal as well. Uh, we want to get back to the same three shifts and everything. Now, we have to crawl, walk, run, right? We are a startup. Uh, and, uh, but that is our, our stated. We're not buying, attempting to buy that plant just to, that plant only makes sense. It's so big if you go full throttle. Uh -huh. And so that's our intention. Nice. Next question. Silas Klingelhofer with Advanced Tech Works. Uh, I got a question for you, Angelo, and if you could comment on it. You mentioned that you're planning on using your car for a power source. Can you actually comment what kilowatt range are you guys looking for for that for home use? Uh, that would, you'd be able to deduce the range if I did that. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. But it's, uh, it's actually... I like you. Yeah, he's good. He's good. Uh, There's a couple of things you can do with that. Yeah. That's one of them, yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's actually much, much better than what's on the market right now. And uh, the whole big thing about hydrogen is just the range. It's, yep. it's all about that range. And that, that ties right back into what we said earlier about autonomous. Like, if you've got a car that can go that much further and then recharge in three minutes, and you're a fleet owner. I know there's a lot of business owners in the audience right now. And you've got to ask yourself, how fast can I refill this thing? And that's a big thing. So I think that just to touch back on, on your comment about what can this do for the microgrid, um, it can change a lot, and it will change a lot, but it's not going to happen without a lot of collaboration. I do want to mention that the powertrains that he's building are powertrains that Hyperion can also use. It's all electric-based. Oh, yeah. So it's all interconnected. Everything is interconnected. And I think a lot of times everybody's looking for that silver bullet like that's going to solve everybody's problems. Guess what? grow up. There's no silver bullet for everything. It takes a lot of different solutions to a lot of different problems, and we're all going to have to work together to get there. So uh, that's the goal, and um, yeah, it, it'll help. I, I can't wait to tell you. Yeah, great. That. Thank you very much. <laughs> I applaud you guys for your, what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you Angela, when will you be telling people? So we're going to be doing a launch uh, very soon, uh, uh, probably early in the next year, uh, that'll kind of show the first phase of what we're talking about with the car. Mm -hmm. And like we're doing today, a lot of you guys probably didn't know uh, very much about hydrogen, but that's the first step, is teaching about hydrogen. The car is meant as a, forgive the pun, but a vehicle to show off, hey, what is this all about, right? When it comes to making cars in mass quantities, you've got to really rely on the guy been doing it for a really long time. You will hit your head against the wall trying to manufacture in huge volume. You've got to work with GM. You've got to work with other OEMs. You've got to get the partners who've done it before. A lot of success of why Tesla was able to take that ex-GM Toyota plant and make it work for them is because they had Toyota as a partner. Toyota helped them do that. And you can't walk in to a plant without the guys who were running that plant 
to help make that thing uh, really succeed. But, but I'm getting off topic. The point I'm trying to make here is that uh, the first phase is going to be showing people what hydrogen can do through the car. The second phase is providing the infrastructure that is so desperately needed for this really to work. And, um, yeah, that kind of answers it. Angela, with this impressively extended range you keep referring to, um, are you looking at long-haul trucking as well? Yeah. So, I mean, there are other uh, hydrogen uh, companies out there that are focused on long-haul trucking, um, and that is something that we're looking at in a different way. So not competing with them directly, but something a little bit different. So I, I would say yes, but not as much you're thinking, probably. I'm sorry. I yeah, so you're, you're just, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. This is fun, though. Like, <laughs> where, what can Angelo say? Yeah. Do you have a question that Angelo can't answer? Bring it. <laughs> Well, um, I guess the, there was a statement about in, in, instructing people about hydrogen. Well, I'm a faculty member at YSU, and I teach a renewable energy course each spring, so Great. let me throw out a few facts. Yes. Um, for some reason, the, the fuel cell car is getting beat up uh, running off of hydrogen, and I think it's pretty well established. If you're going to use pressurized hydrogen, mm-hmm. you're going to use tank, compressed hydrogen, as the driver for the fuel cell if you can safely compress to 10,000 PSI, then you can have the same range as a conventional car. I, mean, I don't know how you're going to go about it, but if you're going to go with tanks, 10,000 ought to do it. Yeah. So, if you're in Germany, yeah. they like liquid hydrogen. They'll yeah. actually they'll, they do, they'll yeah. do yeah. cryogenic, and they'll chill it down to 21 yeah. Kelvin, and they'll be able to. And, of course, then at that point, the volumetric yeah. issue is, is solved. It's yes. just a matter yeah. of safely protecting and having the boil off and dealing with that. Great. I, are you... Well, I did want to throw in okay. uh, about, NASA, <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah. about NASA inventing fuel cells. Actually, fuel cells go almost back, as far back as batteries. That, William Grove, uh, yeah. Robert Grove invented yeah. the first alkaline fuel cell in 1837. Mm-hmm. And I would guess that you're running your fuel cell vehicle off a proton exchange membrane yeah. Pam, fuel correct. cell, which does come back. Basically, DuPont had to invent Teflon, and they had to figure out how to sulfonate it. And at that point, they started trying to, first they wanted to make chloralkali cells, but they yeah. put it in fuel cells for a time. The irony is that NASA is still using alkaline cells. They never did quite. They only use it. They are cheaper. That's right. Yeah. They are. And, and I guess finally on the uh, PEM fuel cell, to my understanding, the, the most expensive factor is the platinum Correct. that's needed to drive the hydrogen and oxygen reactions yes. at a reasonable rate mm-hmm. to get the power density up. Great. So, so many things I could talk about here. So, we'll be here for another half hour answering these questions. Um, no, but thank you so much. Welcome, uh, YSU thank faculty. And, and also, thank you to uh, President uh, Jim Tressel of YSU, who's been very helpful with us uh, over the past few weeks, uh, who's got a great staff, as you can see. So, to just touch on a few of the things he mentioned there, yes, so 700 bar is how you store this hydrogen, right? That's the, we talk about graphometric energy density. You also have to worry about volumetric energy density. So, to compress it is how you get this thing to actually fit in a car and package really nicely. So, that is how we are doing it. That's industry standard. Now, the liquid stuff, that is a little bit more difficult because when it's liquid hydrogen, you have to keep it in liquid temperatures. Now, there are some interesting technologies that are in that area that we are working on. Uh, but the first vehicle is uh, also going to be 700 bar. Uh, touching on what makes the actual vehicle work, there's an alkaline-based um, system. That's a cheaper system, but it also has a little contaminant. So you have to go through the value of the hydrogen. So you're using a lab-grade hydrogen, which is 99.999% purity. It's called triple nine. You can't really get that with alkaline without a lot of cleanup afterwards, and there are some benefits to, to cleaning it up. Um, usually you want to use PEM, which is proton exchange membrane. That's when you use platinum. 
Now here's what's really exciting. Right now it's platinum, and it's what's being used as industry standard, and that's been happening for a while. Um, but that cost has come down actually almost 90% to be very, very um, cost competitive. But in the future, and this is the real future that I see hydrogen is, there are carbon-based membranes uh, that are a little bit too big right now for cars, but one day they won't be so big and they will be more energy dense. And that is a future we're talking about where there are no rare earth metals. There's no mining, there's nothing. You're using carbon-based things for the fuel cell itself, for the tanks, and everything else in between. That's a really exciting future for hydrogen. And then to kind of go back on the history of hydrogen, yes, it was invented almost 200 years ago. Uh, when I refer to NASA, I'm referring to the first practical application of a fuel cell, which was, of course, NASA for the space mission to the moon. Um, and it is used today still uh, in terms of uh, getting us to the moon and, and everything else. Uh, we use solid-state hydrogen and also liquid hydrogen. So that's why we do actually work with some of these NASA research centers on hydrogen, cryogenic-related, and, uh, and et cetera. Um, so just to sort of uh, touch on all the different things we said uh, just now, hydrogen has this really great benefits uh, because of its lightweight. And what does that mean? Why does it matter that it's lightweight? Well, another famous person, you may have heard of him, his name is Newton, said something called force equals mass times acceleration. What does that mean? Well, it means a bullet going really fast has a lot of force. What it also means is that something very heavy has a lot of mass, it's going to have a lot of force too, and it's going to be harder to move that very heavy thing. In other words, if you've got a car or something else that's traveling, uh, it's going to take energy to move that thing, and, and the weight matters a lot. So why is that important? Because one of the coolest things about the graphometric energy density is because it weighs so little, it takes less energy to move it, less energy to stop it, less energy to turn it. That's important because you get a weight and efficiency savings about 160% on top of the competitor. So it ends up being a lot more efficient because of how little weighs. You always got to think. People talk about efficiency, but you got to look at the complete picture. Where is your electricity coming from? Where are you getting that electricity? What is the efficiency of creating that electricity? That's a big deal. Because when you're talking about electricity, most people are burning natural gas. And that is not efficient. That is like 63% efficient. And then it's got to go to your home. It's losing efficiency there too. So you've got to look at the complete picture. And then you look at once it's in your car, how much energy is it going to take to move that huge thing that weighs almost 5,000, 6,000 pounds? It's going to take a lot of energy. So you've got to look at the complete picture. And I think that's something a lot, a lot of people do is look at the whole picture. And that's something part of our education we've got to explain to people. It's not just about this one thing. It's about taking a step back, looking at the complete wheel to wells, it's called, and saying, where can we improve this? I feel like I should sell my car right now. Uh, we have another question. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. My name is Jess Ennis. My company is Sun Lion Energy. We're an Ohio company that uh, designs and builds solar electric systems, mainly for businesses. But um, I'm just wondering what your perspective is. You were talking about the future with uh, autonomous vehicles and being able to whistle and your Tesla will come pick you up. <clears throat> well, in my family, we're, we are four members. We have four cars. And those cars are all sitting idle probably 95% of the time. It seems like a very inefficient system. So do you think that we'll see a time in the not-too-distant future where individual ownership of vehicles will be a thing of the past and there will be more or less a, a public fleet? And are, is that something you're considering? Um, Elon's talked about this um, pretty publicly. Uh, we've referenced a Tesla network. Uh, where there, you know, would be a platform, something similar to what we would think of as Uber or Lyft, uh, where you could do rideshare. Um, and of course, this makes a lot of sense once full self-driving is in play. And I, I think to, to to talk about what's happening now versus where we might be in in 12 to 18 months is the time frame that I think Elon has mentioned when he's talked about the Tesla network. Um, is the fact that we're already seeing um, through like 
you know, fleet procurement is a lot of subscription services, a lot of ride share popping up, even in small to medium-sized businesses where they're, they're really looking at EVs and this, the ability to have this autonomy and get these vehicles on the road and launch now. And so um, Elon has publicly spoken about the fact that it just doesn't make sense to purchase a vehicle at this time that doesn't have capacity to be full self-driving uh, because you could actually start to look at this as a, an appreciating asset where a car has always been a depreciating asset. Um, so it, a huge shift in the way we look at transportation for sure. So just to clarify what you just said, you're saying that you know having an electric vehicle with an with onboard operating system that could be updated to become uh, autonomous next year that's that's the vision that you're painting. Yeah, I think you would look at it like if you know I, I drive a Model Three, I drive a Model Model X, and so just like you're mentioning here, if I have a vehicle that I, I typically get home at 7 p.m. and I'm going to be home until 7 a.m. the next morning, why not turn my car on onto the Tesla network and I'll, allow people to hail a rideshare and have that really you know coming back into my bank account? So. Uh, Pretty spectacular to think about. I think the other piece of this that's really awesome when we talk to city governments is, you know, we've built out an infrastructure for gas combustion engine that is a gas station on every corner. Um, that no longer has to be the reality with EVs um, because of the technology and the navigation system. So when all of the charging stations are programmed into your car, you can really offset, you know, where these are located, and we could potentially have a lot more green space in our cities, our urban areas. Also, um, if you're able to hail your vehicle. Um, where do we place garages? We no longer have to take up a lot of inner city space with you know, multi-level garage buildings. So um, the, the future looks really bright, and I think it looks really clean as well, and it'll actually reshape the way we look at uh, transportation as a whole. I, I think an interesting note, it brings up a great question. Imagine if you're an established OEM, uh, and all these questions, right? You've got all, all the legacy stuff you have to support, and how many cars are going to be sold in that, that autonomy comes into that and utilization of vehicles, um, you know, it's a very difficult equation and nobody really knows what the future, except that it's going to change, right? Uh, it's going to change more dramatically in the last ten, next 10 years than it did in the previous 110. Um, for, our, for our purpose, uh, you know, the, another reason we pick pickup trucks is, uh, you know, people are a landscaper or a carpenter or uh, all, all the people that use a police officer, um, they are using their trucks all day. First of all, I'm surprised uh, Elon let you go home at 7. That's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> it's a hypothetical, <laughs> theoretical idea. <laughs> right. But, you know, we're looking at folks that are using their vehicles all day anyway, uh, and we're just trying to make them optimized uh, from a fuel economy and a, and a safety point of view. But all of this is coming into play, and uh, uh, I, I, many of you probably know that young people you know, turning 16 aren't all that anxious to drive in a lot of places anymore, which is a, a whole other uh, mind shift change. So it's, I think the one thing that's going to be constant is change. And it's going to be uh, – and, and these are all things we're just thinking about. Um, it, you know, parking garages, uh, it, everything kind of changes. So, so – I just want to knock down the garage in my backyard. Yeah. So we um, think you've got to be nimble. I think we have a couple more questions, one or two. Did you have a question, sir? Or did you have a question? Come on up. Go ahead. This will be the last one, I think. Go ahead. Make it great, though. So I'm a okay. student from the University of Auckland, so I got a question about the battery cooling system for Tesla. So as far as I know, the battery cooling system is still running even if you stop your car. So what if you park your car at a place with high temperature, like for a month, 
and the battery is totally drained out by the cooling system. So would the battery caught on fire at this moment? Um, I, I don't believe that you would catch fire. Your battery would just die, right? So what we recommend our, our consumers to do is leave their car plugged in. So it's not like an iPhone or something that's going to keep charging. So the technology is very smart. Stops charging your vehicle. Um, the coolant is running all the time. So let's just say we went on a weekend trip. You would likely come home if you didn't keep your car plugged in, and you would have loss of range. Um, you know, we've had consumers that weren't paying attention, left their car unplugged. They went to their summer home or their winter home and came back, and their their battery was dead. Um, but we have had no uh, challenges with any type of fires or anything like that from just leaving a car parked and dead. Angela, I assume with hydrogen, that's not an issue. Uh, no. Um, so remember when I said indefinitely? Um, well, that means forever. So you, you put the hydrogen in the tank, and it's never going anywhere, and you don't have to charge it. It's going to be there for a long time until you decide to use it. So you can just leave it there for a while. And that's why storing hydrogen mass quantities is a great value proposition because batteries can be very expensive, and they do need to have, they have a little bit of a, a drain sometimes. But if we're wrapping up. We are wrapping yeah. up. I just wanted to say... Thank you, and let's all work together to do a, a new renaissance for this area, because we can do it if we all work together, so let's collaborate. And I know that you want to wrap up. And so. I, I think that is exactly kind of the note on which we wanted to end this. This is um, certainly after this conversation, I think I speak for a number of us when I say I feel like I'm living in the future. Um, and I want to thank you all for creating that future. Uh, we hope it is um, not just a cleaner future, but a future with a, a more a, a vibrant, thriving, and resilient economy where lots of people are working, perhaps as union members. Um, <laughs> I want to thank Steve Burns and Angelo Cavantaris, T.R. Thurston, uh, from Lordstown Motors, Hyperion, and Tesla, respectively. I want to thank all of you for your questions, for your participation here this evening. And I want to thank Bright for convening this SB conference. That's Energy Storage Building Efficiency Conferences, the first inaugural one. Look for future conferences and get yourselves back here in Warren, Ohio, Packard Music Hall. Let's give our panelists a round of applause, please. This, uh, this is the City Club of the Mahoning Valley, and here is Rick Stockburger. Oh my goodness, I, I, get, I get to close it up? So these are some of my favorite people, because we're talking about the future, we're talking about building things. I actually want to say something extremely selfish, and I, if you guys know me, from time to time I do that. Um, but while I have the microphone and I'm up here, so... Number one, I want to thank my board uh, at Bright for all their good work. So everybody on our board, please stand up. Please recognize them. I see Stan Ferret. Please get up. None of this work would ever be done without your support. Barbie, you over there. And all of our great Ripco's out there. Great people. But I also want to talk about what, something that inspires young people. So it's actually uh, eight years ago now that I founded a media company. I was fortunate enough to get in the Cleveland International Film Festival and somebody invited me on a stage to talk in front of a bunch of people about something that I was extremely passionate about. So I want to talk about the importance real quick of mentorship and those people that give voices to people that didn't know they had them. And all I want to say is thank you, Dan Malthrop, because Dan was the first person that let me speak in front of a group of people like you. And we need to continue doing that every single day. So I'm going to give Dan a round of applause. Because I think I got to thank him on Facebook once, and it wasn't good enough. So, <laughs> at any rate, so this is um, 
a soft closing, if you will, of the Energy Storage Building Efficiency Conference. I can't thank our sponsors enough. IN2, Domi, are you out there? Yay, IN2. We're so proud to be a part of that organization that's really bringing a clean energy future forward. Uh, Cortland Bank, um, OCIE, uh, National Association of Manufacturers, um, and literally everybody that's stepped up to the table for this event to put it together. So the last thing that we have to do is we're talking about the future, right? We're talking about electric vehicles. And the cool thing about Warren, Ohio, is in 1899, a little automobile rolled off the assembly line uh, right down the street here. And so right across the street, uh, or across the parking lot is the Packard Museum. And we have our closing uh, party, if you will, over there. So you don't have to hear me talk anymore, but you can just enjoy some drinks, some, a full dinner, and meet these folks. And if you haven't met each other yet, please do that. So once again, thank you so, so much. And we'll see you over at uh, the Packard Auto Museum. <laughs>